Picking up where we left off after episode 18, which saw us join Mysteria Paranormal Events and more than 25 total strangers to investigate one of Scotland's most haunted locations. We now pick up only four months later, and I'm headed back north of the border, to Edinburgh, to reinvestigate this chilling underground location. Tonight, join me for a very special episode as we return to Mary King's Close. Welcome to the fifth Patreon bonus episode of How Haunted. How Haunted is a weekly paranormal podcast where each episode we explore the horrible history and terrifying ghost stories of one of the most haunted places on planet Earth. I'm Rob Kirkup, author, paranormal historian, and ghost hunter from the northeast of England. Allow me to be your guide as I'll take you along on a paranormal investigation at one of the most haunted locations in the world. I'll explain in detail every aspect of the ghost hunt, and once the investigation gets underway, you'll hear audio from the investigation as it happens. You'll be part of the team as you join us for what's guaranteed to be one hell of a night. Tonight, let's return to Mary King's Close and ask the question, how haunted? Listener discretion is advised, as this episode features real audio from an actual paranormal investigation where anything could happen. Listen on, if you dare. On the 23rd of February 2013, I was headed back to Mary King's Close. We had an unforgettable experience there in October of the previous year, as you'll have heard in episode 18. But this time, it would be just us, doing things our way and I couldn't have been more excited. Excitement perhaps tinged with a little trepidation. I was joined by my good friend John Crozier and my younger brother Tom. Sadly, the fourth member of our ghost squad, Rich Stogo, couldn't join us due to work commitments. So it would just be the three of us, versus whatever Mary King's Close had in store for us. This investigation formed Chapter 7 of my book Ghost of Edinburgh, a chapter called The Science of the Lambs and I will read an abridged version of that chapter for you, interspersed with actual audio from that night almost a decade ago. The time had finally arrived for our first investigation of a new year. Thankfully the Mayans' prophecy didn't come to pass. The world didn't end on the 21st of December 2012, and 2013 was now upon us. Our year began with a bombshell which dampened our New Year celebrations, Rich called me to say he was going to have to bow out of our Edinburgh adventure due to work commitments. I spoke to Tom and John, and although they were very disappointed about Rich, we had no hesitation in carrying on as a trio. The other big talking point of 2013 so far was the weather. Last year had been the wettest in Britain since records began, where virtually every day, regardless of the season, would feel like a slap in the face by Mother Nature. 
January of this new year had been a whitewash, literally, as the UK was hit relentlessly by snowstorms. We'd been due to be in Edinburgh the weekend of the 19th and 20th of January to carry out two investigations at two incredible venues, but that particular weekend suffered from severe snowfall and blizzards, causing huge disruptions to, well, everything. Roads were closed with cars abandoned all over the place, public transport was cancelled, and John decided that he didn't want to make the trip due to the weather. Tom and I had a decision to make, but it didn't take us long to agree that we'd rearrange the investigation for a date when the weather would hopefully be better and John would be able to join us. I woke up on the morning of the 23rd of February, a Saturday morning, at around 6am, or rather was woken by my dogs Holly, and a new addition to the family since the last chapter, Indy, our new pup. When I sleepily made my way downstairs to let them out in the back garden, a horrific sight greeted me. Snow. Lots and lots of the dreaded white stuff. We'd not had a significant snowfall in over a month since it forced us to abandon our last trip to Edinburgh. There was no forecast for any snow, but here it was. As the morning went on the snow kept falling, heavier and heavier, but there was no way we were going to be put off this time especially considering the venue I had lined up for us to investigate tonight. It was a location we'd already investigated, but I make absolutely no excuses for returning. The opportunity presented itself and I had no hesitation in grabbing it with both hands. Yes, we'd already spent a night there, but it wasn't our own investigation. It was led by Mysteria Paranormal Events. And although that was great from an entertainment point of view, I wanted to see what would happen this time around when we did our thing with our small group. I wrapped up against the elements a few hours before our departure to dig my car out of the fairly deep snow and then threw my stuff in the boot ready for us to set off early in the afternoon. I picked John up and not long afterwards Tom was climbing in the back of my car and as we drove north the weather began to clear and by the time we passed Berwick up on Tweed just south of the Scottish border there was very little snow, thankfully. We arrived in the centre of Edinburgh at around 4pm. I booked us into a city centre apartment but it was on the pedestrianised lawn market, so we wouldn't be able to park nearby. The apartment I'd booked came with a parking space which was roughly a 10 minute walk away. Once we were parked, we grabbed our bags and headed for our apartment. It was bitterly cold, but at least it was dry, with no sign whatsoever of snow. We've spent a lot of time in Edinburgh across the last year, and generally know our way around pretty well. However, we didn't know the most direct route from where we were parked to where we would be staying so we needed directions. John has a terrible sense of direction. We learnt that lesson the hard way in York, but he was appointed navigator by default as he was the only one with a free hand to utilise Google Maps on his phone as Tom and I were laden with bags and sleeping bags. We passed the outskirts of the grass market and John called out, turn right here, leading us up Victoria Street. We passed the Oink Hogrow shop and John glanced over, hopeful of maybe picking up a hog roast en route, only to see the sold out sign in the window. Where do you think those steps go, he asked, nodding towards some steep stone steps just beyond his beloved sandwich shop. We'd never been up them before, so Tom and I looked at each other, then both shrugged as best we could with all of the bags we had about our person. John led us up them anyway. They brought us out just next to Bedlam Theatre. We walked around the corner onto the lawn market of the Royal Mile. We'd somehow made it onto the right street, but there were hundreds of properties, and we needed to find a narrow alleyway leading to the apartment I'd booked. We're here, according to Google Maps, 
John said triumphantly. So where exactly is our apartment from here then I asked. It was his turn to shrug. You shouldn't install that Google Maps I retorted. Hey it works for me was his immediate response. So do you know where we are? I challenged. He nodded. Yeah we're next to Bedlam Theatre. And do you know where we need to go? I asked. No. Tom and I laughed and shook our heads. If you want something doing properly you have to do it yourself. I put my heavy bags down glad to be free of the weight from my back and hands. I crossed the road and looked around and straight away I could see where we needed to go. From where I was stood I could see that Tom and John were actually stood about 10 metres away from the iron gate leading up to our home for the night. We were once again staying on the Royal Mile, the perfect central base from which to get out and about in Edinburgh and only a five minute walk to Mary King's Close for our return to the world famous haunted hotspot of this historic city. We got inside our apartment and the welcomed warmth from the central heating unit hit us in a similar manner to the doors opening on the airplane somewhere tropical and the hot air wafting through the aircraft. John was going to be sleeping in the bedroom so put his bags in there. Tom and I were on sofas but Tom had already planned ahead and brought along an inflatable bed he owns from many camping trips. It was just before 5pm so I dropped my bags and nipped back out. I headed over the road to the House of Scotland souvenir shop directly opposite as there was something I was going to need for our investigation later. When I got back into the apartment, John and Tom were discussing food as we were all hungry. Tom and I wrapped up against the cold and headed for the food court at Prince's Mall, only a five minute walk away, and John headed for Nando's. Tom and I hadn't decided what we fancied, but the mall was home to all the takeaways you could ever wish for, so we could decide when we got there. It was getting dark by the time we walked over to the Prince's Mall, Tom opted for a McDonald's and I plumped for a KFC. We carried our takeaway back to the apartment and put the TV on while we ate and awaited John's return. John returned before long and we kicked back for a few hours, watching episodes of Fact or Faked Paranormal Files on TV. At 8.30pm we were all feeling a bit tired, so decided to try and grab a quick power nap, as we had to be at Mary King's Close for 9.45, so we'd have to be ready to go by about 930 I unpacked my sleeping bag and tried to get some sleep, but Tom's electric pump blowing up his inflatable bed made a hell of a noise, and just as I started to doze off, a fight kicked off outside our window. Tom was stood watching over the frack horse from our third floor window and giving me a running commentary. There's loads of them, they're all punching and kicking each other. Oh, one of them just swung a traffic cone at somebody else's head. Within only a couple of minutes, the unmistakable wail of a police siren screamed past the window as the fight had moved further down the road. I finally got to sleep and it seemed like mere seconds later when my alarm went off. I wish I'd not bothered trying to sleep, as I was more tired now than I had been beforehand. We picked up all of our kit and headed out into the icy cold night air. Oh, there's that traffic cone, Tom said pointing to the middle of the road. He then had to explain the grand battle to John as we continued on towards Mary King's Close. We arrived at 9.45pm precisely and we were greeted by Curtis, a member of the real Mary King Close's staff, and we were joined shortly afterwards by Maz, who also worked at the popular visitor attraction. I was chomping at the bit. I couldn't wait to get back underground and into the closes, so I had no objection whatsoever to the suggestion that Maz should show us around the areas we would be able to access. Then we could begin our investigation. We would only have until midnight, so every minute would be precious. It was only a couple of minutes before 10pm 
when we began our descent back into what many consider to be the most haunted place on planet Earth. However, this time there wasn't the 30 of us that had been when we'd been here in October. There were three of us, plus two members of staff. The tour took no more than 10 minutes. We would have access to everywhere we could go on the Mysteria investigation, with the exception of Chesney's house, due to the even more fragile state of the floor. The tour had ended in Annie's room, and this was perfect, as I had hatched a plan for this very room. Over the last few months, I'd read a number of reviews of Ghosts of York, which was very much the prequel to Ghosts of Edinburgh. And I'm pleased to say that they'd all been really positive. One particular review, however, had caught my eye. The reviewer said she'd settled down for a lazy weekend, curled up with her dog, and read my book. She said she'd really enjoyed it. However, she did criticise me slightly for not being more scientific in my experiments. The elaborate trap I was about to lay was my response to that criticism. When I had popped over to the souvenir shop earlier, I'd bought the trigger object for this trap, a cuddly toy. Annie's room is full of cuddly toys left for the ghost of the young girl for whom the room is named. The toy I'd bought was a wee Scottish lammy, and I'd named him Rich after our absent teammate. I positioned this small cuddly sheep on the floor, away from the mountain of gifts left from all over the world. Next to Rich the lamb, I positioned my paracorder 667 and flicked the switches on each side to the on position. The paracorder 667 sounds and lights up if someone or something gets too close to it. Off to the side of the room, I positioned a motion sensor directed towards the cuddly toy. It was sound if something was to break the invisible beam that was projected across the room. Close to the toy, I placed a voice recorder and pressed record. Finally, I had acquired a new piece of kit called a laser grid. It works by projecting a grid of green dots, similar to an LED laser pen. But instead of one dot, you get a huge blanket of them. If something moves in front of the laser grid, dots are blocked out and it makes it easier to see movement, as well as the shape of whatever it is that's present. I positioned this laser grid to cover the area around the lamb, and the whole thing was being recorded by a night vision video camera. The trap was laid, and every element of it was tested before we left the area. No one else would come here until we returned. Tom and John headed to the next room, but before I caught up with them, I said quietly, in what I deemed to be my friendliest voice, Hello Annie, I know you're here. I've left you a little present, I hope you like it. It's a toy for you to play with. You can come and take it. It's for you. I left Annie's room and joined the others in the cowshed shortly afterwards. This room had provided the backdrop for the grand finale of our investigation here with Mysteria, so we hoped it would prove interesting. Also it was close to Annie's room, so if one of the alarms sound, we should be able to hear it. We spread ourselves around the room, which seemed vast with only three of us in it. The lights were off and we were in total darkness. Tom spoke and introduced the three of us, explaining who we were and why we were there. He then asked, come forward and make yourselves known. Touch one of us, speak to us. From the cowshed. Hmm? Recording. I'm recording, yeah. Okay. If this 
there's anybody here present with us right now, we ask you to come forward and join us. We mean you no harm. We just want to find out some more about you. So if you could come forward and show yourself in some way, shape or form. We ask you to come forward and join us. Are you recording, John? Yeah. We stood in the darkness and waited hopefully. We heard nothing and we felt nothing. Give us a sign that you're here. Can you copy my knocks? He knocked twice loudly on a wooden beam. We aren't currently able to hear you, but we do have two recorders. Should you be able to make yourself known to us through those, then please come forward and do so. I want to knock on this wood in front of me twice. If there's anybody here present, please repeat these two knocks after me. Sadly, there was no response. If you don't like us being here and you want us to leave, give us a sign that this is the case and we'll leave. Please come forward and touch one of us. If you don't like us being here and you'd like us to leave, please come forward and let us be known. Push us, throw something at us. We didn't get a sign, so we were going nowhere. If you're trying to communicate with us, we're not able to hear you. Can you move something so we know you're with us? This time we did hear something. You can just make a funny noise, John. There was a noise that seemed to originate near to where John was stood. It was a sound which resembled a squeaky door being opened slowly. John wasn't sure what it was or where it had come from. If you did just make a noise there, can you make another noise? And can you make it louder? It did make another noise. That you? Uh, it was a bang, like a noise. I don't know what it was though. That would make next to you. That was a bit weird, wasn't it? That would be a very next to you. No, I feel alright. And this time it was louder, much louder. And it was right next to me. It sounded like something heavy being dropped on the ground, like the sound a brick would make if it was dropped from a great height onto a stone floor. John checked with the staff, but they hadn't dropped anything. And I knew they hadn't, as the sound had been produced right next to me. Can you make a banging sound again for us? Tom asked. Is there a number of you? Is there more than one? Is it a family of people? What was that? Sounded like a noise from the other side of that door there. I couldn't see the reaction of the other guys, but I heard a bang immediately after Tom finished speaking. It wasn't next to me that time though. It sounded like it was down near the wooden door into the room. The wooden door Tom was standing fairly close to. Tom had heard it. It seemed strange to me that we'd had three noises in response to three requests. The first one was right next to John, the second was right next to me, and now one was right next to Tom. Was someone trying to frighten us away? Tom politely thanked the spirits for responding, and asked if they could bang twice this time so we could be sure that they wanted to communicate with us. The room had fallen silent, 
We'd all expected a fourth successive knock, but it didn't come. Tom continued to ask questions for a further few minutes, all of which were met with silence. Just as we were discussing trying something different, we heard a loud knock which seemed to come from outside the room beyond the wooden door. John immediately spoke out in the hope of finding out who appeared to be with us. We mean you no harm. We know you're here, and we know you've been making noises in the room with us. Can you do something to let us know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're here with us? We persevered for a further five minutes, but whatever had been making those noises had decided that they didn't want to speak to us, or perhaps they'd moved on to another room within the labyrinth of underground streets that make up Mary King's Close. It was 10.45pm, so we moved to the playroom which is connected to the cowshed. The room hasn't changed at all since we were here only four months earlier. The room had an eerie quality due to the mannequins dotted about the small room, which had been used as a family home in centuries past. This time John spoke. If there are any spirits here that can hear my voice, please come to us. We come with no ill intention, we want to learn. Please tell me your story. He asked several questions over the next five minutes, but nothing unusual happened. The room fell flat, and it seemed that we were alone. However, everything changed when he said, We thank you if you're trying to answer these questions. However, we've not heard anything. Could you communicate with us in some other way? Can you show yourself? Just move your hand, John. Pardon? Just move your hand in front of the mirror. I mean, the window. Possibly. All right. Why? Just look like someone across the window, but it looked like painted John's hand that he was dancing. Like this. John and I saw and heard nothing. However, Tom saw a long shadow move rapidly across a wall. The only light source was a flickering light, designed to imitate a candle, so we set about establishing where and how something would have to move in order to replicate the shadow Tom had seen. We couldn't recreate it, but at the same time Tom was the only one to see it, so we agreed to press ahead with our investigation and hope that it would happen again. John continued with his attempts to speak to the dead. I was suddenly overcome by dizziness. I feel really dizzy. Are you making Rob dizzy? If you are, thank you for making contact with us. Can you touch Rob in some way, shape or form? I am holding out my hand. If you can touch me, please do. Yeah, but I feel like if I let go of this thing, I'd just probably just topple over. You don't have okay, to twist, do you? No, I haven't had an urge to twist. I just don't feel very stuffy. Okay, is there anybody here making me feel dizzy? Affecting us in some way? If there is, you can do more if you like, you can affect us however you want. Come on, if, if you are here, let us know. Do something, show yourself. Touch John. He's got his arms out. 
How do you feel? I was holding onto a wooden bed frame where the mannequin of a sick child lay at one end, and at the other end her mother, clutching a crying baby. I felt like if I let go of the bed frame, I'd fall over. I told the others, and Tom asked more of the spirits, asking them to affect me in some other way. I still felt dizzy. After a few more minutes, and being aware of time ticking away, we agreed to move on. We'd had over an hour already, and we had less than an hour of our time left. I picked my steps carefully as I staggered out of the playroom and through the cowshed. By the time I left the cowshed via the large wooden door, I felt fine. The dizziness had passed completely. We headed back to Annie's room. The disc in John's night vision camera had almost ran out, as we were recording in the highest quality it was capable of. If we did capture something miraculous, we wanted to make sure it was crystal clear and you could see exactly what it was. You often see low resolution fuzzy footage online, supposedly offering proof of ghosts, but typically the video is so grainy you often have no idea what you're meant to be looking at. I stood in Annie's room alone, being careful not to activate any of the sensors I'd positioned earlier. Tom and John positioned themselves in the area outside of the room. I reminded them of the warnings that were offered on our last visit, to be careful as the ceiling is supported by metal supports holding it in place and the walls are very fragile. I spoke aloud, attempting to speak to little Annie, the young girl who it's believed died here and has remained here ever since. Hi Annie, I've brought you a little toy, a little lamb for you to add to your big pile. I've left it separate at the front, so feel free to come and take it. And there's a few bits and pieces of equipment lying around. If, if you do come and move it, they'll sound, but it's nothing for you to worry about. It's just so we know you're here. It'd be good if you could show yourself to her, do something. We've come a long way. We don't mean you any harm. Don't we not? Nope. Brought you a little present, as I say. Can you do something for her? Tom and John sat on the ground outside in silence. I was communicating one-on-one. -on -one. Annie, you've not came for the little gift I left for you. It's for you. Do you want me to put it with your other toys? If so, can you give me a sign so I know? Everything was very quiet and still. Then I almost jumped out of my skin as there was suddenly and unexpectedly a series of loud bangs outside of the room in the area Tom and John were positioned. What the hell was that, I shouted, as I frantically scrambled to my feet. Oh, I was just moving about, said John, as if he had been moving around incredibly quiet, and he couldn't understand how I'd even heard him, let alone why I was asking. We changed tactic. John stood in the doorway, Tom stayed outside, and I stayed inside. We decided to try an experiment that had been tried out by the Mysteria guys on our October ghost hunt. On that occasion it was Tom stood in the doorway, but this time it was John. Tom asked for any spirits with us to try and move John out of the way. If you don't like us being here, or you'd like to play with us, please come forward and my friend who's in the doorway, please push, try and push him out of the way, try and push him out of the door. If you don't want him in your room, please come forward and try and push him. Please use our energy. Please come and push on him. Tug on his legs, tug on his trousers. Make him know that you're here and, you're in, and he's in your room. Nothing happened. John felt nothing. 
Time was against us, so it was time to move on. I dismantled the trap I'd set up, hoping that when John reviewed the footage, he may have captured something out of the ordinary. I then placed Rich the Lamb in with the other cuddly toys for Annie. At the same time I was doing this, Tom thought he'd seen something out of the corner of his eye, a short shadow crossing the wall that John and I had our backs to. I'd love to think that it was Annie thanking us, but we'll never know. We bid farewell to the tragic young girl and headed to Mary King's Close itself. It still stuns me to see a street beneath the Royal Mile. The tall buildings, which would once have been a thriving community, now empty and lifeless. We scattered ourselves out along the long, steep close. I sat on the steps to Chesney's house, with John a little way further up the close, and Tom further still. John had my EMF meter, a device which measures electromagnetic fluctuations, and as he spoke to the ghosts of the close, he held the button down on the side. There was a steady tick 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 as it sought out electromagnetic fields. The hope was that when he asked for spirits to move closer to him, that ticking would become louder and the scale would creep up beyond the one it read at the moment. If you're here with us, come to me. Touch me. I'm not afraid. I want to see you. John pleaded with the ghosts of the close. After a few minutes, the electronic ticking became a loud howl as the scale jumped up to a seven. John complained that he suddenly felt really cold, with a chilly breeze surrounding him and moving all around him. As the cold spot vanished, so did the noise coming from the EMF meter as the box dropped back down to a one and the tick tick ticking started again. Did you take your finger off the button or did it just stop? No, it's just There was a loud clatter from the bottom end of the close. Tom and John turned to look at me. I knew what it was. It was an unmistakable sound. I'd heard it a million times before on Saturday nights up and down Britain. Bottle bank, I said in answer to a question they'd not yet asked. The noise was a bar outside throwing their empties into the glass recycling bin. Tom asked for a sign if they wanted us to leave. Both he and John heard a loud bang a moment later from the top of the close. Is that a racket? Is that him? What noise? I was too far down the close to have heard it. John went to investigate, but he couldn't identify the source. What was the noise you heard? Some sort of banging. Tom made his two two banging noise. Wasn't an echo. Wasn't an echo. He stayed at the top of the close, and Tom asked the spirits if they could make it happen again. Nothing happened. With only ten minutes of our investigation left, we moved on for the final time. We decided to spend our last ten minutes in a room largely overlooked by paranormal investigators. The room decorated like a typical house on the close, the first room on the tour. We set my voice recorder and John's mobile phone which was set to record audio on a table. The room was fairly well lit by a couple of lights that we were unable to switch off. Tom sat in the centre of the floor as John and I stood in two corners of the room. Is there anybody here with us? Um, Come with total respect. I just want to know a bit more about you. 
whether you exist and why you're here, who you are. Could you let us know you're here? Could you do something? Could you make a noise or show yourself? So if I'm bang on the table, could you copy and make a noise? We, we haven't heard you or, or seen you, but if you are able to make a noise, talk to us. We've got recording equipment that may be able to hear your voices, even though we can't hear it at the moment, so we're going to hear it back later on. So if you're able to, could you please talk into the devices on this, on this table here? We feel them. John asked for any spirits with us to do something, to let us know they were there. I don't know if any spirits have been following us around this place, but we ask that when we do leave, you do not follow us. We done? Sadly, the final ten minutes of our investigation passed by uneventfully. We returned to the surface and into the real Mary King Closer's gift shop. It was midnight and time for us to leave. We thanked Curtis and Mars for giving up their Saturday nights to help us out, and we headed out onto the Royal Mile. The Royal Mile was buzzing. There was people everywhere having a great Saturday night out. The walk back to the apartment took only a few minutes. We sat down in the warmth, we had a drink, and we reflected on the last couple of hours, and the stark contrast between our two investigations at Mary King's Close. We were incredibly fortunate to have been able to investigate such a phenomenal location twice within the last four months. We talked about our own personal highlights of tonight's events, and we were all upbeat about what had occurred during our time at Mary King's Close. Talk turned to the future, as we'd already arranged to return to Edinburgh in April, two months later, for the final investigation of my book, Ghosts of Edinburgh. But that's an episode for another time. A few weeks later, I met up with John for a drink, and he told me that he'd watched the video footage from Annie's room in its entirety. And despite the elaborate trap I had set, she never made an appearance. Thank you for joining me for this special episode. I hope you've enjoyed it, and I'll aim to put an episode of this type out each month. If you're not a Patreon supporter and you're listening to this one I've released it to everybody, you could get access to these bonus episodes three months earlier by becoming a Patreon supporter for only £3 a month. And you'll also get early access to all of the weekly podcasts. For more information, check out the podcast description or you can head over to the website at www.how-haunted.com. You can follow How Haunted on Twitter at at HowHauntedPod or over on Instagram at HowHauntedPod where you will see photos galore relating to Mary King's Close. If you want to get in touch, you can do so by visiting the website at www.how-haunted.com or you can email me directly at rob at how-haunted.com. Feedback, location suggestions and your own experiences are all more than welcome. Feel free to ask me any questions you like and I'll answer them all on a dedicated Q&A podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode if enjoy is the right word, 
then please subscribe and review the podcast on your podcast provider of choice. It really does help other people to find How Haunted. Thank you so much for accompanying me for this very special paranormal adventure. Stay safe, and join me next time when we will once again ask the question, How Haunted? How Haunted?